Good morning. It's great to be with you today. I was trying to remember last time I was here, it was probably at least five years ago. So if you're new within the last five years, we haven't met yet. So I'd like to just give you a little bit of information of who we are and how we ended up in Poland as we began. This is our first picture. I think it'll, it worked until we practiced earlier. <laughs> Let's try there. Oh, two cards. There we go. Great. Just to give a little background, I actually came to faith my second year of college, 1979. And I got immediately connected with a campus ministry group called Campus Crusade for Christ. Most people know that as crew today. They were actually gave me a foundation to my faith, gave me an opportunity to share my faith at an early time, and they also had what they call summer projects. Summer projects are 10-week-long. They go to different locations in the United States and you share the gospel. On the third time I went on a summer project was actually in 1984. We went to the northern beach of Poland and shared Christ at that time. It was there that I felt like the Lord was calling me back to ministry in Poland in 1984. You have to realize that in 1984 in Poland, it was still not legal to be missionaries to go there. It wasn't until 89 that the wall came down. When I came back to the United States, I decided I needed to go to seminary. I had some engineering training, but I needed to go to seminary. So I started seminary the summer of 1985. Actually, two miracles happened at that time. One, as I mentioned earlier, the wall came down four years later in 1989. The second miracle is that I started as a single man, and I finished married, and I had four kids by the time I finished seminary. So I was able to squeeze three years of seminary into eight. You can figure out the math on that. But with that, this is what we were at the beginning, our rookie card. This is the way our family was at that time. We've all changed except my wife, Michelle. I don't know how she's done that. But I just wanted to give you just a quick update on our four children, where they're at now. Our oldest daughter, Brittany, is married with her husband, Seth. They serve the Lord in Fredericton, uh, Nova Scotia, in, in Canada. And they have three of our grandchildren. They work with college students up there in Canada. Our second child is Heather. Heather is married to Victor. They have our next granddaughter, Dana. My daughter works as a concierge. If you have to Google that, I had to look it up to see what it meant. But she helps people out that come into the area and does wedding venues and helps people that uh, come in for the weekend and uh, come into Montana. And her husband does uh, actually construction work. My son just had their first child six months ago. My son's name is Brandon, so grandson name is Clark, married Lexi. They live in Billings, Montana. He works for a company that actually installs security devices in homes there. And his twin sister, that's why we had four in that time, his twin sister, Shannon. Shannon is also in Billings. She just finished her uh, schooling in nutritional dietetics, and her husband is a dentist in the area. So that gives you a short background and update with our family. It's encouraging. They're all following the Lord. They're all doing well, and they're all married. And it's just like as a dad, you know, you just think like, this is a good time in life for us right now. So we really appreciate the Lord guiding us through that process. But as was mentioned, we were actually moved back to Poland in 1995. We've been in southern Poland, a city called Wrocław. It's W-R-O-C-L-A-W. It's pronounced exactly like it looks. Okay. <laughs> That's actually another, the German name of it is Breslau. It's a part of Poland that was, actually belonged to Germany until after the Second World War. 
The city is pretty large. It's about 800,000 people that are there. Roughly the people that would say that you receive Christ by faith for salvation maybe would be about two out of a thousand that are there uh, in that population. And so that's part of the reason why we're in that part of the world. Both my wife and I come from the background that the predominant number of people are from that culture. The first number of years we did church planting, we saw the Lord build a church, a Polish Baptist church. That was turned over to Polish members. That was 15 years. The next five years I served as a director for our field in Poland and the Czech Republic. And recently I've been working in a new area. But while I was a director on the field, I actually started attending a, a church plant. It was an international church of Wrocław that started in 19, or 2012 in a small cafe in the First Baptist Church. We started there when I was in town and I could serve there. Shortly after that, three years later, it moved to the basement of that church complex. We got too big for the cafeteria. And now currently when we left in December, the fellowship continues to grow. Currently we meet in the main sanctuary. The neat thing about this fellowship, it's a Polish Baptist church, yet they minister to Ukrainians at 10 o'clock in the morning, there's a service for Ukrainians, 11 o'clock for Poles, and then at 5 o'clock at night for English speakers. So it's a great use of the facility that they have there. So the last two years I've been serving what's called the missionary pastor for the International Church of Wrocław. One of the important aspects of serving there, that this was not an idea that missionaries brought in. This was a question, this was a desire of the local national pastors. They saw the situation changing. When Poland came into the European Union in 2004, it opened the door for a lot of people to come in at that period of time. Poland is really an entry point for Europe for a lot of African, Brazilians, and Asians to begin their stay into Europe. So that's changed in our situation since we've been there. The international church is called a church, but actually it's a ministry status. We actually are still a church plant. I just inherited the name. It was started by another group of missionaries initially. But to tell you a little bit about the fellowship in whole, it should go right there. There it is. We have about 30% are African from 11 different countries. We have 35 nations. 15% are Poles, which are extremely important. For a church plant in a Polish culture, we need to have nationals that are there, that are building families, building homes, that will be staying there for a long period of time. So this is a very important aspect of our ministry. 12% Americans and Brazilians, surprisingly, is a huge percent. After World War II, a lot of Poles actually went to Brazil, and now their descendants are starting to come back. Also Germany, England, New Zealand, and South Korea make up the largest population. So with that as a background, when I was talking to Pastor Paul, he was saying that he would like to have as a global ministry partner, really to share how God is using us in the vision of actually having, coming from culture to kingdom. So moving from a culture to kingdom. That's what we'll be talking about today. It fits right into the direction of your ministry, right into the direction of the preaching. But I like to say, share this as a word of encouragement from Colossians. All over the world, the gospel is, being, is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you've heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. See, what God is doing here among you, he's doing that all over the world. 
And I hope that's a big part of the encouragement that I can give you today, that God is modestly at work throughout the world. Here at Chapel Hill, uh, you are a link to our ministry in Poland. We could not be there without your help, without your prayers, without your sacrifice for us. We are able to do what we're doing because of your sacrifices and care for us. And I want to say a great thank you. I'm looking forward to getting to know more of you and continue to build this relationship. Actually, in the future, a new part of our ministry is that our ministry currently isn't in Polish. You don't have to learn Polish to come over and help us and serve with us. Just file that away in your mind a little bit as a little prompter. We now have the opportunity that people can come over and serve. Uh, if there's anybody on the music team that would like to come over, I'd love to talk to you immediately after the service. <laughs> and so there's new opportunities if you'd like to come and see that part of the world and get to know us better and see what God is doing there. But well, we do have a common mission, a common message, and a common spirit. The gospel is going out, and it is changing lives. And with that, specifically, Paul, Pastor Paul did ask if I would share with you how God is moving people in Poland from the earthly cultures to God's kingdom culture. But just a couple clarifying points of that. We are a church plant. We are very much in process. We are learning. We are growing we don't have it all figured out. We have a rich diversity of culture, but it's important that we use biblical culture, biblical principle to apply to the variety that we have. And we actually also involved in a church out of Idaho called Real Life Ministries that's been helping us because what we're trying to design is a church-based discipleship. This ministry in Idaho has been doing this for about 23 years. They've planted about 8 to 10 churches now, and they're working on international ministries as well. So it's our desire to be able to have help as well, to be able to have a church-based discipleship. So as Pastor Paul mentioned, the question is, how do you move from a generation of a culture to the kingdom? Just as a summary, I'd give you this three-word summary as we begin. Discipling the nations. This is what I'd like to unpack with you this morning, how God is leading the International Church of Wrocław. As you already know, uh, the gospel writers had a particular focus each time they wrote one of the gospels. The writer John, he wrote that Jesus was truly a divine person, proven by his miracles. He was the true Lamb of God that gives eternal life. Luke wrote to a Greek world that Jesus was the perfect Son of Man. Mark wrote to the Roman world about Jesus' triumph over death and victoriousness over sin. And Matthew wrote to the Jewish population, focusing on the kingship of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. And I've noticed in your recent series that you've been focusing on some of the passages from Matthew as well, because Matthew's gospel begins with the genealogy of Jesus, with the kingly line of inheritance from King David. By chapter 4, we find out that Jesus is already developing his disciples that he calls to himself. And that by the end of chapter 28, Jesus' ascension he is already commissioning his disciples to go forth to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So between chapter 4 and chapter 28, Christ is actually calling a ragged, diverse group of men out of their culture, from fishing, tax collecting, doctor, and radically changed their thinking, their values, and their heart. So the question is, 
How are these kingdom values infused into the lives of these ordinary men? The short answer is that Jesus discipled these men to be disciples, to make disciples of others. The Apostle Paul even explains Christ's method when he wrote to the Corinthians church in chapter 11. He said this, Follow my example as I followed the example of Christ. When Paul wrote to the church in the Philippians in chapter 4, he wrote this line, Whatever you have heard or received or heard from me or seen in me, put them into practice. You see, Paul knew what he's doing. He was simply applying what he saw, what he heard, what he learned, and was transferring it to the next generation. And even in, it's probably one of the hardest things about discipleship is actually to be able to say to someone, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a tough order. That's a huge standard. But that is the standard that God calls every believer to, to follow him and to transfer that Christ-likeness as people watch us change, watch us grow in the process. Even Jesus, in his own words in Matthew 4.19, he said, Come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. See, this is the current title even of your series now, of following the leader. We need to follow the leader of Christ in his example and in his model of discipling the nations in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in the International Church of Rotswav, we use these 11 words of Matthew 4.19 to actually define our discipleship process. We put them in an overall framework that we call a discipleship wheel. And this is what it looks like. And let me explain how it works. Matthew 4.19, the first quadrant is to come. Second quadrant is to follow me. Third quadrant is I will make you, and you can fill in the rest, fishers of men. That's the general idea, the mindset, the template that we're trying to infuse into the leaders, into, into our staff, into our followers of this process of walking through about making disciples. So in the remaining time, I'd like to give you an area of each, an example of each of these areas and to walk through these, these four different quadrants for you. We call this the different stages of discipleship. The first one is the area of simply come. Come to Christ. And there in John 14, 6, it says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. At this stage of we actually are born into this world physically alive, but spiritually we are dead when we come into this world. In the days that the Lord gives us, we need to actually realize our position. To realize, for me, growing up, I had the, one of the most powerful verses for me to realize when I was 20 years old was the verse that the wages of sin was death. From my background, I thought just by going to church, by doing good deeds, somehow my good deeds would outweigh my bad deeds. But I didn't realize until this verse really hit me that there's only one thing that can pay for, for sin, and that is death. We can never be good enough, and we can never do enough good to actually resolve that debt that we have. This spiritual deadness is actually evident in different forms. There it is right there. The spiritual deadness is actually can be obvious for some. It may be completely that they reject God. Sometimes people don't realize that even if you can be spiritual and still be spiritually dead, you can be even religious 
and still be spiritually dead. You may actually claim to know God or even be a Christian, but there's no changes. There's no fruit in your life. This would be, con- this would be consistent with those who are dead in their faith. And I said, mentioned earlier, I was 20 years old before I realized that going to church was just not enough. I had to play my, put my faith exclusively in the person of Christ to pay for my sin, to come into that personal relationship, to be born again. To give you an example of that is that to come, the first area, the first quadrant, we use the letter S for sharing. Because it's in this first quadrant we need to share the gospel, we need to share our lives, share new truths, and share new habits. An example of how we've, one example that we've done that is this situation here. Raphael and Chelsea. Raphael is a, is a Polish boy, and Chelsea is, is actually from New Zealand. Chelsea's adopted father, parents, mother is from New Zealand, and her dad is actually Polish. They came to, to Poland. His dad had some paperwork to do, and she was there for about a year. Well, she caught the eye of Raphael. And during the time to get to know Chelsea and, and talk to the parents who were both believers, Raphael started to fall in love, but he knew he didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. I had a chance to talk with Raphael, and I rarely find people who are so willing and so ready to receive Christ. So talking to Raphael, within a half hour, he understood his need for Christ to pay for his sin, and he came to faith at that time. They are now married. He is a computer technology. He's in charge of the university system in Auckland, New Zealand. He's a brilliant young boy. But he came to faith, and this actually represents one of the many common situations that we deal with. Many times in the international church, one of the two people that are married will be Polish, either the husband or the wife. So what happens is oftentimes is that the other partner that's not Polish doesn't know the Polish language, and they want to worship together. Well, there aren't that many options. We're the only international church in town. We have a monopoly currently on that situation. So it's a pretty good deal. And so right now when they want to come to worship, uh, a lot of Poles, a lot of young people speak English. So English is a national trade language for young people to come to faith and to be able to, to understand and worship together. So with that, that's an example of coming from death to being a spiritual infant. A spiritual infant is somebody that they may be a brand new believer, like Raphael, or actually they might could, could even be a stagnant long-term Christian who has never grown in their lives. But generally what typically uh, imp- exemplifies a person of a spiritual infant stage is that they're generally all about themselves. If you have any infants or any babies or any toddlers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Their life is wrapped around themselves. So that's common as it is in the physical world, also in the spiritual world. So at this point, it's natural that we want to encourage people not to stay as an infant, but to grow, and to become a child, to follow me, to follow Christ. And that second stage is actually characterized by uh, when you, if you ever have children, you can't hardly keep them in pants because they keep growing quickly. But spiritual children, they just can't get enough. They're constantly growing, constantly learning Another factor about spiritual children is that they begin to apply God's word and want to live it out in their lives. When I first came to faith, one of the first things I did, I went out and bought a Bible, and I couldn't stop reading. 
I didn't want to just read the word. I started to pray at meals. I wanted to have fellowship with other believers as well. Those are just constant signs that something changed inside of me, a hunger for God's word. Spiritual children also, another thing about them is that they desire to have other people walk beside them. They don't want to live the Christian life alone. They want to go on a journey with somebody as well. Another factor also about children, still at this age, still much of life is about my needs, about my comforts. And that's still common. It's just a phase. It's natural for them to grow through physically as it is spiritually as well. An example of that is a gal named Penny. Penny came to our fellowship about two years ago in January, uh, just about this time, two years ago. My wife was actually at the entrance welcoming people at the time. Penny walks in and says, Hi, I'm not a Christian, but I want to be in a Bible study. Can I come to your church? I don't know how many times that happens here. I'm sure all the time. But Penny walked in, and to find out, she was able to plug into a really good Bible study. Pat and his wife, they've been having a Saturday morning Bible study for years, and she was hungry. And in a short period of time, she came to faith, she was baptized. And now she's in the, not only is she in the infant stage, but she's starting to learn and connect with people. Also, she's doing our tech support with us. And another gal, Sitong, was also helping her. This is also from China. But she actually met a, a girl who, inter, who had a friend that was a missionary ch- child that connected her with us at the International Church. And she calls it a coincidence. So you can imagine that God is calling people even out of China to himself. She's a brilliant gal, and she's really developing well in her faith. But in this, this group of, of, of connectedness, that's what we want them to not just walk the Christian life with themselves, but to connect to small groups. And I saw that you have a lot of small groups here in the church. And if you aren't part of a small group, I'd really encourage you to think about it. Check it out. See if there's an evening in your schedule that you could dedicate to being with other believers. Because we, don't want, we want to connect them to God, to small group family, and also for a purpose. It's a great time just to get to know people, build relationships. And actually, we, the way we work this is that we try to connect people with an apprentice. So every new group that we start, we try to have at least one or two apprentices for each group. So we have a leader and one or two apprentices. So that those groups build, possibly in the future, that either the two apprentices can go off and start a new group, and the leader can start a new group, or the weaker apprentice can go with the leader and start a group, and the stronger apprentice can, can branch off. So we try to even infuse at the very beginning of our groups an idea that, that we want to multiply. It's not here that we're going to be here for 30 years together. We want to be able to build relationships to that to, we'll be able to grow in their ministry. So with that, uh, go to this. It's... Um, at this stage, one of the factors, usually in the infant and child stage, it's very common that just the subject of baptism comes up. We really don't have to discuss it. It just naturally rises to the surface. One of the situations I saw a number of years ago, I went to a, I had some friends who were being baptized in a Polish Baptist church, and the pastor stood up and he said, right during the service, who's going to walk with this couple that are being baptized? And then he proceeded to baptize the couple. And I thought, oh, what a great opportunity. He should have just stopped until someone said, I will. I will walk with this couple for the next four to six months, help them ground them in their faith. So that's something I've tried to actually introduce into our fellowship. 
I don't leave it totally wide open. I usually sort of prearrange it. But if I know a couple that will mentor a new people that are being discipled, I want them to announce that to the church. And something new we've also added in there, not only just that I will disciple them, but I said, who will be prayer partners for this new couple that are being baptized? And we'll form a prayer team around them for that period of time as well. When people are going to these changes and stages, it's important that they feel like a community is coming around them during that stage. The third area is young adults that I will make you. This third stage we actually see in Matthew 9, 35 to 38. I appreciate Pastor Paul. You, two weeks ago you, you already read through the passage, so I can just uh, keep going. They've already memorized it, I'm sure. But let me just uh, summarize it again for you. If you have your Bible with you, please open to Matthew 9, 35 to 38, or turn your Bible on if it's an electronic version. I'd just like to read and make a couple observations from Matthew 9, 35 to 38 again. It says here, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Just pause there for a moment. During this time, just put this on so you can keep the, I know it'll work. There it is. Too, too fast. There it is. Um, we see that Jesus is simply doing ministry with his disciples. He goes throughout the towns and villages. Estimated at that time, there are possibly 250 villages and towns. Can you imagine being taught 250 times what to say and what to do? And during that time, he went to the synagogues preaching the good news, but he also met practical needs as well. The disciples saw Jesus' compassion that he had on the crowds. Jesus not looked beyond the physical needs, but he saw the people as harassed, helpless, and lost. Jesus modeled and taught the disciples not to ignore the physical needs, but he wanted them to look beyond, look deeper into the spiritual needs that they had. How did he do that? We read further, he asked, he asked them to be praying. And we pick that up in verse 37 to 38. He says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The common interpretation of that and the application may be that simply we're called to pray and beseech the Lord, beg the Lord that he would send out workers into the harvest and that they would maybe be professional missionaries or professional pastors, full-time workers. But a common thing interesting about that, as you read further in chapter 10, he calls the disciples back to him, pairs them up, and sends them out. So the disciples were to pray earnestly for the harvest workers, but they were called back and they were sent out as practical ministry training. So the call to pray for harvest workers is not simply to inform God that we need more workers in the harvest, but actually is to cultivate God's heart in us, into those who pray. See, I believe that if we pray for harvest workers, God is going to keep that on your mind and keep these three people that are going off to Puerto Rico on your mind as well. So our job is to be praying that the Lord has sent out those harvest workers, but when he does that, be will willing and listen because he's going to cultivate his heart for the lost 
He's going to help you give the eyes to see the needs, the physical needs of the people around you and give you the eyes to see beyond the physical needs to the spiritual needs of people around them as well. So praying actually primes us to be able to be prepared for what God wants to do. We don't need just more missionaries. We don't need just more pastors. The church needs to train the laity, you, the average person, to reach out to your friends and neighbors. That's the center hope of the church. We're called not just to walk, to come to church. We are called to be disciples of Christ and to be able to let Christ touch the lives of people around us. So this stage in discipleship becomes a kingdom focus. People move to a spiritual adult, young adult, and they start to see the needs of others finally at this stage in life. Some come to qualifications that people have become more other-centered. They learn to use God's gifts and to be givers, not just receivers, takers. That's what's really fun. When people start to learn God has given me a passion for helping, a passion to encourage, a passion to serve, and people start using God's gift, that's contagious. That's fun. People really enjoy seeing God touch other people's lives through the time and efforts and talents that he has given them. And along with that, they start to become uh, self-feeders of God's word. They don't just rely on podcasts or coming to church, but they are in God's word on a regular basis. And third and fourthly, go back one, that they have a touch to develop a heart for the lost. And as you pray in that God will send out harvest workers, he will help you see the needs of the people around you as well. An example of that is John, John and Ashley. John actually came to Poland to teach and play American football. New idea, new concept. But he's, a, he's actually from Idaho. He's just next to us in Montana. And the neat, unique thing about John, he was a, a player coach. He didn't just teach him on the weekdays. He played with him on the weekends, on the games. He was just a sore Monday morning as the guys next to him. So he was on the line teaching and guiding people. And that, for me, is a beautiful example of discipleship. You can't just teach it. You have to do ministry with other people. So John has been a great example. He comes from a Dutch background. He had received Christ in college. It had faded away. But his time with us, he wanted to be baptized. He was dating a young gal that's part Maltese and part Australian, playing basketball in France. And so they were married. She wanted to be involved in a good church for the first two years of their married life. So we actually baptized John, and then we asked John if he would like to baptize his wife the same day. And so they both served. He served in the tech department, and Ashley, his wife, served with the, the uh, visitors group that we had. Currently, they're both back in Malta serving as a church. And that's the great thing about an international church. We don't have to send out missionaries. They just go automatically their businesses, their jobs, they just usually are with us in three to five years, and so they're using another place. So now they're serving both in Malta. So with that's an example of training, uh, training to minister, equipping them, providing opportunities to serve. Actually, both John and Ashley started their own Bible studies as well and prayer group among college students for them. So with that, what we're trying to do is is this idea here of that the, in order to move a generation from a culture to a kingdom, we want to see people move through a natural progression of spiritual growth and maturity. For the gospel, it needs to be preached, 
Life needs to be shared, moved from death to life. Spiritual infants need to be loved, nurtured, and cared for. It doesn't just have to be the pastor. The actually the spiritual children can start to minister those, those who are infants. My wife was about eight years old when she would help her relatives in North Dakota during harvest season, and she would take care of the little kids as eight years old. So you don't have to be a fully an adult physically or spiritually to be able to start ministering to the needs of others. These spiritual children, they grow rapidly. They have opportunities to serve and explore God's given gifts that they have. And they give them opportunities to be involved in ministry specifically. The needs that were mentioned earlier, those aren't holes to fill. Those are ministry opportunities for growth. So I hope you see those as opportunities. And if God is calling you into those, you would see that, that that's God stretching you. And most of the growth is on the tips of a, of a pine tree in the springtime of the year. And that's where our faith growth is often on when we get stretched in new areas, when we really need God to get us through situations. And spiritual parenting, a couple of minutes just briefly on that. Spiritual parenting is one of the best examples that we have because parenting, as if you ever have had any children, it's messy, it's inconvenient, it's costly and exhausting. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians, My dear children... For whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now. So even Paul experienced that heart compassion for his dear spiritual children. But parenting takes a great deal of selflessness, energy, time, commitment, and wisdom. So in the area of spiritual children, it takes a strong understanding of God's word it also takes a consistent relationship with the Father. Thirdly, they desire to invest into the life of others. And also a spiritual parent will be able to reproduce disciples of Christ. An example of that is a gal from Ukraine. Her name is Ola. And I'd actually like my wife, Michelle, if she would come up and tell you a little story about Ola. I had the opportunity to meet Ola. She's actually from the Ukraine. She came to our city a few years ago, very strong-willed. Uh, she was running from her family. Her dad was quite abusive. And she had determined she, she's just a survivor. She at one point told me that she was going to be the president of America, not knowing that you had to be an American citizen to do that. Uh, she also was very anti-God, but she started coming to our church, and I don't know, the Lord just placed her on my heart, and I just pursued her in a loving way. Eventually, this young woman did accept the Lord, and then she was able to be discipled, but yet she was going on her path. She was going to do her thing, and as she started getting into God's Word, it just started to soften her heart, and eventually, uh, she was discipled, and she told me at one point, I will never be baptized. I will absolutely never be baptized. It's just a thing you have to do. Well, she started desiring to please her Heavenly Father, a father that she had never experienced because her father was so unkind and cruel to her. She started saying, yeah, I want to be baptized because this is what God asked his son to do. And then she was baptized. And then the thing that amazed me is as she was growing as a disciple of Christ, she started getting involved. She helped us with our student ministry. In our, our city, we have seven universities. Nothing is being done with university students in our city. And as she started to grow even more, she's like, I just have to, I can't get enough of God's word. I want to be in God's word. Eventually, this young woman was involved in helping me disciple other women. 
And then guess what the Lord did? A woman who was going to just be a career person and conquer the world, God's helping her conquer the world in a new way. She's actually in Oregon at Western Seminary, preparing to be in full-time ministry. She's been to uh, Thailand on a missions trip. She's actively involved in discipling a couple gals and involved in helping do a church plant in, in Oregon. And now she's just asking God, okay, when I finish at the end of this next year, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to serve? And it's a, talk about going from culture to kingdom. Her culture was to conquer the world, and God is now using her to help bring people into the kingdom. And really, isn't that our heart? God says to go make disciples, but that's not the end game. They're not truly disciples unless they're discipling somebody else. And that's the exciting part about Ola. God started her truly spiritually dead, and she is so vibrant and alive for Christ, and she is now making disciples and being prepared to go to other parts of the world, wherever God would have her, to be part of that kingdom work. So continue to pray for Ola. She has a, hard, a tough time. Her dad just had a stroke, and, and she had to go back to the Ukraine, and she's having to learn even how to forgive her dad, her earthly father, who actually, because of the way he treated her, God used that to put her on this path to find him. So keep her in your prayers, and just... If God is placing somebody into your life, look at where they're at. Are they a baby? Are they an infant? Are they lost? What is the next step? That's all disciple is, is walking that next step and helping somebody go down that path so that they eventually can go from just culture, which is our culture that's good things, but to a kingdom culture that has eternal impact. Thank you, Michelle. Just to summarize, in our fellowship, this is what we look at now. In the area of sharing, we have about 90 people who attend our church. Sometimes it's once a month, sometimes two, sometimes it's every week. So they would be people that would be in the infant stage of that. People who are in our Bible studies in the Connect group, we have about 20 in four different groups. Those actually that are ministering consistently and learning to train are about 10. So you can see between the M and the C, that's 30 people. So we have 30 people that are ministering to the 90, about one-third to the two-thirds, and we have four people who are discipling. That's where we are today. But these are the type of numbers. This is what I'm looking at. So I'm watching God move people to the various levels and degrees of ministry, and it's actually an area of increased commitment for them in the process. So in summary, how do you move a generation from a culture to a kingdom? I'd wrap it up in this way. You need to be able to have spiritual parents who invest in the time, the energy, the hard work to be able to disciple others. From that, they should be investing their time into those young adults. That's, they're excited, they're growing, they're learning to use their gifts. They make mistakes, but you encourage them through that time. Those young adults should be helping those who are young spiritual children in the process. I believe my heart is that all the best happens within the local church. The local church is God's design for discipleship. This is where he desires it to flourish, to grow, and I want to encourage you into that process. So I'd like to leave you with two questions. The first question has two parts in closing. Question number one is, when you look at these different categories, where do you see yourself in the various stages in growth and maturity? As we talk through those stages, you can say, ah, yeah, I'm about there. Well, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm at. But that's the idea. We, it helps to know where you're at before you desire to know where to go next. 
And that's the part two of the same question. If you know where you're at, what's the next step toward becoming a disciple who makes disciples? If you're here and you haven't made that, chance, that decision to receive Christ, that's step number one, to be born from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But it doesn't stop there. You start to come to church and build relationships. It doesn't stop there. You can be baptized. It doesn't stop there. You become a member. Please don't let it stop there. That's not the apex of the Christian life, just to be a member. You want to be able to go into the different phases and stages to be able to know and to train the next generations. The last question is, would you dare to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more kingdom workers? I wrote that specifically, do you dare to pray that? Because it's a challenge. When you start praying to send out more harvest workers, God is going to be sharing his heart with you. He'll be changing your heart, your perspective, your ideas, your values in that process. In fact, I'm going to give you a really simple way to be able to apply this one. If you have your phone, you can set the phone to ring or vibrate at 9.38 a.m. or p.m. It really doesn't matter. But when your phone vibrates at 9.38, pray Matthew 9.38. You'd be surprised. It's a very simple way to make this application to help to be consistent. When your phone rings, see what it is. Pray Matthew 9.38 in the process. So as I see, as we make a generation to move from a culture of our own culture, the kingdom culture, it has to be done in the local church. And the way we do that is by following our leader, our leader, Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to ask you to pray with me at this time. And as I'm praying, I'd like to have the worship team come up and prepare to lead us in a, in a final time of sequence of, of worship. Would you pre- please pray with me? Father, it's a massive privilege that you have called those you've called and us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life. What a huge privilege. But with every privilege, there is a responsibility. Father, we don't do it in order to gain more love, but to just express our love for you. Father, thank you for your ministry has continued on this earth through the power of your Holy Spirit. Would we just remove those barriers? Would you feel us to a full consistently so that we would love people more, see the needs of people around us more, have the energy, the passion, and compassion to be able to take your spirit into situations that are way beyond our abilities? And would you continue to use imperfect people, put your treasures in earthen jars to be able to extend your ministry? And Father, I'd also even pray against the spirit of... uh, Contentment. Father, don't let us just be content with coming to church. Don't let us be content just being baptized, just being a member. Father, help us to keep pushing all the days that you give us in this world toward that goal of being a disciple who makes disciples. And Father, I pray that we would dare to pray that you would send out more harvest workers into your kingdom work, that you would align our hearts with yours as we pray. Father, we desire to invest the hours, the minutes, the days, the years you give us to following Christ. We want to follow our leader, follow our Savior, follow our Lord, and follow your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.